So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 18, it says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Have you ever heard a church use the motto, we're a church for people who don't like church? Well, Grace Chapel is a church for people who love church. Okay. Love church. And, 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 and I, now I understand, I understand the point they're trying to make, but what we need to understand is that the church is the very body of Jesus Christ. This church, our church is the very body. The church is the very body of Jesus Christ. As we kick off this new, new series, I, I love my church. I want to try to build a foundation for why God loves the church and why we, why we should love the church as well. This month, Grace Chapel is celebrating 20 years, okay, that we've been here. Hey, I like it. All right. Uh, Yes, and and there'll be cake afterwards. I'm not kidding. For the next four weeks, you can go out and get cake. Um, We'll switch it up a little bit in uh, chocolate cake, different kinds of cake, but we're having cake. Um... But I can honestly say that the church is healthier now than it's ever been in in 20 years. I mean, honestly, um, I love being the pastor of Grace Chapel. Um, If it be God's will, you know, so I say that I'm really careful. If it be God's will, I'd like to be the pastor here for the rest of my life. That would be uh, my my desire. Because I enjoy being the pastor here. I enjoy, I love working with our staff. I love all of you. Um, I really enjoy uh, what I do. And, and God has blessed us and given us um, a very, very healthy, healthy church. And it's not something that we should take for granted. It's something we need to keep working on individually and as a whole to make sure that we try to keep it healthy. Throughout the, the next two months, we're going to look back on what God has done. Some of the things that God has done within the church, but also look forward to what he may have in store for us as a church as we continue to move forward together on this journey that we have called, we started Grace Chapel. The Bible teaches that the establishment of the church, and and I want you to really, I want you to take notes, do what you need to do to grasp what, what the Bible is saying here. The Bible teaches us that the establishment of the church is deep and it's profound. Paul actually calls it a mystery. You think a mystery? 
It's the church. Uh, We we need to dig a little bit deeper to understand what Jesus thinks about the church, what God thinks about the church. It's It's only really with the help of the Holy Spirit of God that we can really begin to understand the reality of the church's significance. If we truly could grasp the reality of of what the church is to God and what it should mean to us, it will change everything. Now, before we look at what the Bible, how the Bible describes the church, I want to look at some of the ways that it has been um, falsely described, (coughs) ways that I think um, most of you have heard and maybe some of us have actually used. And I, I love the way that Tom Nelson describes them. Uh, these, you know, lays it out. He says, some people see the church as a gas station. It's a gas station. It's a, pla- it's a place that we come to get filled up spiritually. Right? We come to church and maybe we hear some um, you know, encouraging music or motivational type sermon or just in, you know, it, it fills up our minds and we're learning from the sermon. Um, and that'll last us for about a week, right? You come, you get, you get filled up, it lasts you about a week and you come on back the next time, fill you up again. So it's like a gas station. He says some people see it as like a movie theater. It's a place where you come to be entertained, right? You come, you're entertained for about eh, about an hour. Hopefully there's good coffee and you get a nice, comfortable seat, right? Wouldn't it be cool if we had those seats that kind of went up a little? You know, the kind they have now at the movie? I thought about that, man. Uh, you know. But some people think about it like it's a movie theater. Some people see the church as, as kind of a drugstore. It's a church where a church is a place where people can go to get the prescription filled for what is causing them pain. In other words, the church is just therapeutic for them. It just it's just it's just like therapeutic. Some people see the church as a big box retailer. The church is a place that offers you um, the best the best deals, if you will. It gives you the best products for you and for your family. You can go in and you can kind of look around and shop around, and it's a one stop shop. It's kind of a it's a one stop it's a one stop shop. You 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 don't need to serve. You don't need to serve. All you need to do is give your money and let our friendly staff do the rest. And what do you get out of it? You get to say, I go to church at, I don't serve there, but as long as you're giving, you have enough money, we give enough money, we can, our friendly staff will do all the rest. Now, here's the thing. The problem with these are they're, they're not biblical, these are not biblical descriptions of the church. These are distortions of the church. And they all have one thing in common. All four of these have one thing in common. It's all about me. It's, it is all about me. Fill me up. You need to fill me up. You need to, you need to, you need to make sure that I don't feel, you know, I don't feel any pain. You need to en- entertain me. Give me the programs that my family is looking for. It's all about me. And what's the problem with that is it's the church following culture. It's consumerism. It's basically consumerism. Rick Warren says that these concepts Concepts have produced a church, a, a, a culture, or a generation of church hoppers and church shoppers. 
And I feel bad too because people move around looking for the best deal. It's not what it used to be. It's not like the body. It's just people hopping around looking for the best deal. And here's the biggest concern I have for the church sometimes is that when Christians think that way, they're really missing out. They're missing out on what God has called the church to be. What God has called them to be as a part of the overall church. So then how does the Bible describe the church? And, and, and in looking at how the Bible describes the church, how can, how can that move us away from this consumer mentality, if you will, and help us understand what it means to be the church? I said this a couple of months ago. The only reason you have, we, this building is here is so we don't get rained on, right? And so it's a little warmer for us to be sitting in here together. This is not the church. This is the church. You are the church. So how does it, how does it help us? How does understanding what the Bible says about the church and how the Bible describes the church move us away from this consumer mentality? This morning, I want to focus on the beautiful picture of the church that the Bible lays out called the body of Christ. What does it mean to be the body of Jesus Christ? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we basically read that every part of the body is important and has specific roles, distinct roles. Each one of us is important and we have particular roles that we need to play. The key is that we actually, every single one of us, need each other And we all have something to contribute to the church. This picture of the body um, is given primarily to teach teach us what is commonly called the priesthood of all believers. Say, what is the priesthood of all believers? The priesthood of all believers basically is that you all, each individual who knows Christ, has access to God. And we all have the power, we all have the gifting... To minister for God. That's the priesthood, if you will, of all believers. Now, keep in mind, every analogy of the church in the Bible focuses on on Jesus Christ. For example, the church is called a flock. When the church is called the flock, Jesus is the shepherd. When the church is called the bride, Jesus is the bridegroom. When the church is called a temple, Jesus is the builder. He's the foundation. Jesus is the cornerstone. In Ephesians 1, Christ is the head. We are the body. Here's, this is really amazing. By describing himself as the head and the church as the body, Jesus is choosing, this is what's happening, Jesus is choosing to express his power through the church. That, that is miraculous. Jesus now, we know that Jesus can express himself without the church, and sometimes he does. But Jesus Christ has chosen to connect with his 
people and he has chosen and since he has chosen to connect with his people, he expresses his power through the local church. Now, we've got to we've got to start understanding and grasping these concepts because they're dynamic. They're incredible. They should move each one of us. Listen to this in Ephesians chapter one, verses 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We, we, we need to reflect on this. If, if Christ is committed to building and working through the church, then shouldn't we have the same commitment? Shouldn't that be our, our desire? See, I don't love the church. We, this whole series, I love my church. I don't, I don't love the church because it is filled with perfect people. I love the church because it is filled with people that Jesus loves. And I believe somewhere it it tells us that we should be like him. Isn't it our goal? Isn't it our desire to be, to be like, to be like him? Let me let you in on a little bit of a secret. Just hang on. This is going to be profound and move all of you, right? You all can be annoying sometimes. Okay. Let me let you in on a more profound secret. I can be annoying sometimes. But here's the thing. You're all, we are all flawed. You're, you're flawed. You make mistakes. But I want you to really understand what I'm saying here. This is so important if we're going to take the next 20 years and profoundly impact the world around us. You're flawed. You make mistakes. You can be annoying sometimes, and so can I. But here's the thing. I choose to do life with you. I choose to do life with you. I choose to build the kingdom of God with you. I choose to fight. But I choose in my heart, in every part of my being, I choose to fight by your side. I choose to build the kingdom of God by your side. He chose to bleed for you. I choose to bleed with you. And I hope you feel the same about me. It's a choice. You are always going to, you are going to, if you look for flaws in me, you will easily find them. If you look for me to make mistakes, don't wait too long. You won't have to wait too long. You'll find, I'm going to make mistakes. So are you. I'm flawed. I make mistakes. I'm annoying. I have personality quirks. I say certain things on Sunday mornings over and over. And you say, well, why, what was the one my wife told me I say? Um, well, what's that? No, but if, no, um, whatever, I, I can't hear what you're saying, but I, uh, that's one. If you will, thank you. If you will, my wife said, you said like 15 times. I said, I don't, what do you, I've never even remember saying if you will. And you're all laughing because you're like, yes, you do. I wrote down on the top of my sermon, just to start working on it. Don't say if you will. It says it right there. All right. But here's the thing, okay? Here's the thing. I choose to do life with you. With your personality flaws, with your difficulties, with your issues, with your sins, I choose to do life with you. That is the body of Christ. 
That is the body of Christ. And if we have that heart, if we have that mentality, there's nothing that we cannot accomplish together. Jesus chooses to love and to work through the church. So will I. So do I. That should be my desire. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10 says, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Christ displays His glory to the gathering of His people. He displays it to the gathering of His people. That is us, the body of Christ. Why would we not? Honestly, Honestly, why would you not want to be a part of that? This is reality. Why would we not want to be a part of that? Why would we not want to serve the body of Christ? Why would we not want to give to, with enthusiasm, the body of Christ? Why would we not want to fight and build up and strengthen and live and die for the body of Christ. There is no greater privilege for the believer in this world than to serve and to live and to die for the body of Jesus Christ. Remember what Ephesians 1 said. It said this, the Father has put, listen, the Father has put everything under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for what? For the church. Did that not rock your world a little bit? For the church. That's us. Not for the buildings. Okay. For the end, for us, the body of Christ. All of us form one body. He's the head. And God has put everything under His feet and appointed Him over all things. What? For the church. My goodness. If we could live this out. If we, if we could live this out, we would experience the miraculous. There are people in this church, there are younger people in the church that are sitting here and they're wondering, do I, am I buying into this? Not just this morning, I'm not talking about this morning, I'm talking about Christianity in general. Am I buying into this? And what I'm saying to you, the church, if we would live this out in our lives, we would begin to, we've seen miraculous things when we've lived it out. We will begin to experience the miraculous at a level we've never had before. We will unleash the Spirit of God, not only in our own lives, but in the body here at Grace Chapel, in our community, in our nation, and in our world, when we allow God to work in this way through us. We will actually experience what Jesus meant when he said I will leave here and when I do you will do even greater things than you've seen me do. And you're like, whatever. That's not... Have you read the Bible here? This Jesus, was he did miracle after miracle after miracle and he said, wait, wait, if you believe what I'm saying, if you pick up on what we're talking about here, if the body of Christ that God has given gifts and talents and abilities and resources, if those people actually figured this out, he's the head, we're the body, and they came together and used all of the gifts and talents and abilities that that have been given by God, if they realize the power of Christ flows through them and the Holy Spirit lives in them, if they realize that there's nothing, nothing that can stand in their way, they'd be dangerous. We, we want to be, we should be one, we need to be dangerous people. And we're not, we're going to be, a group of people hang out together. I don't care how big the church is. You can have 25,000 people come into a building and hang out together. 
Or you could have five people get together in a room who understand what the heck here I'm talking about, and they will transform the world. It doesn't matter how big the church is, or how small the church is, or how medium the church is. It's all about us understanding that we all bring something unique to the table. And when we are connected to the head, and we grasp what the Bible's talking about here, it will transform our lives. Our children who are wondering, am I buying this? Am I going to give my, I grew up in, I grew up in the church, but am I going to be, am I going to be passionate about the church? That question will be answered depending on how we look at this, this scripture and how we live out this scripture. So what does that mean for us? What does it mean? What are, what are we, how are we supposed to respond? Well, to start, it means that every single person in this room, okay, every member should be a minister. Every member should be a minister. I think a lot of people sit in church and think to themselves, man, I, I really don't have anything to bring to the table. I got, I, I got nothing to bring to the table. What, but here's what you need to understand. You need to realize that that when, when you are connected to Jesus Christ, you live through Him. His, you, your power for life comes from Him. Your power comes from Him. You draw on, you draw your life from Him. You draw your power from Him. So when you sit around and say, well, I don't bring anything to the table, that's a lie from the pit of hell that you need to stop saying and actually thinking. I'm going to say it again. Stinking thinking that needs to be out of your life because God created you, put you in this place we call Grace Chapel to be a part of this body and you need to use the gifts that God has given you to build up the body of Christ. Each person has been given a gift, a talent, an ability, whatever, and resources. And what I'm saying is if we don't, if I don't use them, I am sinning and I will be judged. If I, as a believer in Jesus Christ, do not use the gifts that God has given me to build up the body of Christ, then I will be judged. Ephesians 4, 12 reminds us, reminds us why we actually have the gifts that we have and the talents and the abilities and the resources. It says to equip his body for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Built up. Just picture working out, and I mean working out, and all, you know, it's so funny. I say I work out what works now. I have tendonitis, and sometimes my tendonitis is acting up, so can't, you know, I have to do certain exercises that don't cause me terrible pain. I try to keep moving, but I'm, here's the thing. What happens when all parts of the body, fingertip to bottom of my toes, are all working like a well-oiled machine? Your body gets built up inside and out. You're a well-oiled machine that can take on whatever is thrown at you. And that's what we're talking about here. Whether, whether, whether we're, we're older, whether we're younger, if we come together and use the gifts that God has given to us, we are a well-oiled machine that can transform this world. You know, most people experience God's love first through the church. They, they experience it through the church. That's why the church is often called God's hands and God's feet. When I first started going to church, I had a lot of questions. 
A lot of questions. My youth pastor, my pastor, and then when I started going to Nyack, all my professors and everything, I had a lot of questions. But even before I started going to school, here's the thing. It wasn't the intellectual answers that I received that ultimately led me into a relationship with Jesus Christ and completely transformed my life. It was the love that I saw and experienced in the church. It was truly the experience I had with the people in the church. And some people will say, man, a church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. I don't know how you can say that, a bunch of hypocrites. Let me give you a thought here. So some of you maybe come here for the first time. And I don't know, maybe you've been a Christian for a week. And so you come into church, right? And you sit, you come in and you're over here. And the guy who's been a Christian for a week or a month or whatever spills hot coffee on his hand and goes, ah, and you think, I can't believe I'm in church. I can't believe it. What a hypocrite that guy is. Um, when I first got saved, I, I, I had such a foul mouth before I came to Christ. Um, I used to get on the bus and I used to say to my friend who came to Christ about the same time, I only cursed five times before I got on the bus. And he was like, yeah, I was like six. That's awesome. We were there for like 20 minutes waiting for the bus. Right at the end of the day, after a couple of months, it was like I only cursed three times today. The whole day, he was like, "That's amazing." You know why? Because the F word was a word I used to describe everything. They thought I was shy and quiet when I first started going to church. That Jeff Green, he's such a quiet, shy guy. He didn't talk very much. You know why Jeff Green didn't talk very much? I was terrified that I was going to say something that I didn't want to say. Once I overcame that, but if you were if you were around me, I knew Christ. I'm not a hypocrite. I was working hard on those things. I work hard on my personality flaws, as you will. Just kidding. Uh, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I did that purpose. Um, I work hard on those things. I work hard on my little idiosyncrasies. I work hard. I work hard on. The, I work hard on my sins, and and so do most of you. You're working on those things. So when you come into church and say, oh, the church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. No, it's filled with flawed people who are trying to become more, more like their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Being a, part, being a part of the church also means every member suffers with the head. Now, um, if you thought 2020 was going to start out as a kinder and gentler and more laid back kind of sermons or anything, you were wrong. Okay. You are wrong. This, this, is, this is so true and so profound and so important for us to understand. It is not good for a church to bait and switch people. Um, if you come to Jesus, you're never going to have any more problems. Everything's going to go well for you. All you got to do is pray and God promises and God does this. And, um, all tr- God is going to be with you. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But the reality is, the reality is what I'm about to share with you. I remember uh, an older pastor telling me when I was a younger pastor, never trust a Christian leader who doesn't walk with a limp. Never trust him. Don't trust a leader who doesn't walk with a limp. You cannot be a faithful member of the body of Jesus Christ without being hurt. The, the, the body of Christ will always have scars. 
which is one of the reasons I said in the very beginning, I want the most important thing to, to, to the elders, to the staff, for me, for other leaders, is that we build a healthy church, because I'd rather those scars and those hurts don't come from within the church. But we're humans, but I'd rather they don't come from within the church because you're going to get enough. If you live for Jesus Christ, you're going, to have enough, you're going to have enough scars and hurts and difficulties from outside of the church. Think about the physical body of Jesus Christ. He was bruised. He was lacerated. He was impaled. He was pierced. I mean, they spit on him. They, they shoved a crown of thorns on his head. The world hated Jesus, and so they, they harmed, they attacked, if you will, they inflicted pain on his body. For 2,000 years, the church, the body of Christ, has endured that same kind of pain. We are the body of Christ. The world hates the body of Christ and will inflict pain on the body of Christ when it has the chance. Jesus said it clearly in John chapter 15 and verse 18. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If the world hates you for what you believe, for what you stand for, what you stand up for, for the compromises you won't make, and they call you all kinds of names and hate you for it, he says, keep in mind, they hated me first. If you devote your life to serving Jesus Christ, you will, I'm just promising you something, if you devote your life to serving Jesus Christ, then you will have scars and you will have wounds to prove it. No one in this room will escape that. Paul says, listen to these words. These are so profound. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. See, we don't want to hear, it's like a lot of times churches just want to, want to they, want, they don't use passages like that because that, that, you sit here and go, oh, I don't like that. But how are you ever going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Some, I, remember, I remember years ago, I was in a discussion with people who believe the health and wealth gospel. If you believe in Jesus, you're going to be healthy, you're going to be wealthy, nothing's going to go wrong, it's all going to be great. And I said, I'm confused. My, my goal is to conform to the image of Jesus Christ, to become like my Lord and Savior. As far as I remember, he died naked hanging on a cross. So I'm not saying I'm going to die naked hanging on a cross, but I'm also not going to say that my life is just going to be one, just peachy keen, wonderful, constantly, no problem filled life. When do you grow the most, guys? When do you grow the most? When you're going through challenges or when you're not going through anything? Things, life is just one big woohoo, this is great. When do you grow, when, when do you, when do you change the most? When do you transform the most? When do you make the most difficult decisions of your life? When things are just totally smooth and wonderful or when you're going through challenges in your life? We don't want to think though, God, that's not God. Well, you know, it is, it is sometimes. God choosing to allow us to go through difficulties. God choosing, he says, he disciplines those he loves. Discipline's not easy sometimes. We're going to go through difficulties. And even if God didn't, okay, 
even try to discipline those he loves, leave here and see what happens to you out there. We are going to have scars and we are going to have wounds if we are going to stand up for Jesus Christ. And the scars that we suffer in the body, okay, in the in this world as the body of Christ are evidence that we are, and this is important, that we are joined to the one who had a crown of thorns shoved on his head, who was beaten And had his hands and feet nailed to the cross. It shows when we go through difficulties in life, when we have those scars, when we have those wounds, when we have those hurt, it shows that we are connected to the one whom we worship. The body of Christ will always be known by its scars. If our, if our desire is to be like him, How can we, I want you to really process this through. If our desire is to be like him, how can we as the church, how can we as his body, the church, live cautiously? How can we live timidly? How can we live passively? How can we live a life of mediocrity and not want more than coming, going through the motions and going back out? I mean, how, how is that possible if we are filled with the spirit of the living God that we are choosing, that we will choose or will look for a timid life, a passive life, a cautious life? Mediocrity is just fine with me. How is that, for what I just described to you, how is that even possible? Where on earth did we get the idea that ministry, the ministry of the church should be marked by a life of comfort, convenience, and ease? Where does it say that? I've said this before too. Here's the reality. Whether you deny God completely in your life, or whether you are a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you not, your this life is not going to be all that it's all that you think it's going to be, and it, you're never going to suffer, you're never going to go through difficulty, you're never going to be hurt, you're never going to have scars. An atheist who does who hates God has scars, goes through difficulty. Here's the thing: when we go through it, though, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're doing it for Him. We're not doing it because we made just horrible mistakes in our life. We're doing it because we're followers of Him. And He will walk with us every step of the way. He says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And I will take all of those scars, I will take all the things that you've been through, and I will use them, I will use them in your life to help you become the man, the woman, the child that you have been created to be, and to help you be conformed to the image of my Son, Jesus Christ in his book and if you haven't read this it's it's not an easy read but I encourage you the cost of discipleship Deirdre Bonhoeffer said this cheap grace is what I've been talking about too he says cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church You want to know why the church is suffering right now? You want to know why the church is shrinking in America right now? It's not because of the rise of this or whatever else or this thing came into being. It's not it. It's because we're following cheap grace. And cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. He says we are fighting today for costly grace. Costly grace. The last 20 years, okay, we have just gotten started, my friends. I'm not tired at all. 
Okay, you're not looking at someone doing it for 20 years. Man, I'm just dragging. I'm burnt out. I'm not really sure I can make it another whatever. I am fired up. I'm not tired at all. I'm ready to go. Okay, I'm tired. I'll take a vacation. I'll sleep in a couple days or whatever. I am ready to go. We as a church have just gotten. We have just gotten started. Just gotten started. I want to challenge our church, Grace Chapel, to step up and be ready to serve and be ready to give and be ready to fight and be ready to die with that kind of passion that he just described. Not cheap grace, not easy believism. I'm talking about following Jesus Christ. If you want your children not to walk away from the church when they get older and go off to college, you need to live this way. Because if you live in such a way, we talk about, we teach our children, oh, all these stories of the Bible, David and, and, and how he fought Goliath. And we talk about Daniel and the lion's den. And we talk about Samson. And Samson was walking in, in the vineyards of Timnah with his mother and father. And a young lion came roaring toward him and Samson Samson was filled with the spirit of the living God and it says he tore that lion apart like you would tear apart a young goat and they have heard these stories of Jesus walking across water and they and they're asking is is this real and what did I say in the very beginning Jesus said to us you if you live out what i'm describing you are the i am the head you are my body and i will give you the power to do even greater things than you've seen me do if we live that way our children aren't going anywhere they're not going anywhere you know i have people all the time say to me you know, the reason I don't believe in Jesus or in my own God, because I know two Christians, or I've met three Christians, and blah, 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 and, you know, that's the way Christians are, then I don't want to be any part of it. You know what you need to say? You need to say what Paul said. Have some, have, get some, I mean, try your best to live this way, but man, have some courage. Have courage. And say to them, well, if that's your, if that's the way you think, that you're denying God for three people that said they were Christians and they didn't live that way, Follow my example as I try to follow the example of Christ. That's what you tell them. You're sitting here this morning. You say, I don't believe in God. and I don't want to follow God because I know three Christians. I am my, my mother, my father, my aunt, my uncle, whatever else. And they did this. And now I, I, I'm just trying. And then the reason I don't follow God is because I saw hypocrisy. I, I challenge you. I'm going to say it out loud. I'm not being arrogant. I say to you, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. Because here's what's going to happen. I'm going to fall short. And when I do, I'm going to come and I'm going to apologize to you for falling short. I'm going to tell you why I felt short and some of the things I'm going to work on to make sure I don't fall short again. But if your logic is you're not believing in God because someone else is not living out Christ, then your logic should be, then follow me or follow someone else who has the courage to actually say that and then give your life to Christ. We need to live with this kind of passion. We need to live with this kind of fire. We need to live with this kind of attitude. See, we, we, we as believers, sometimes we shrink back when the world puts pressure on us. When the enemy comes, we shrink back. We shrink away. We know when it talks about the armor of God in the Bible, you know the only place that a Christian is vulnerable? is back. 
So if you turn your back and shrink away, it's the only place you're vulnerable. When you're standing up and you're walking forward, you have the spirit of the living God in front of you. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a person belonging to God. You're a joint heir of Jesus Christ. You are the body of Christ. You are dangerous. You are dangerous. There's nothing more. There is nothing in the universe more dangerous than a church who understands what we talked about this morning. And it may not tickle everyone's ears, and it may not make everyone feel good, good, because I don't want to suffer. But I'm going to tell you something. We get through it together as a body. We are unstoppable. We are unmoved. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is the head, and he's working through us. And there, listen to me, there is nothing... There is absolutely nothing that we cannot accomplish together. Nothing. You say, well, we're not, we, we, we would need 10,000 people to accomplish that. No, 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 no. Time out. It seems to me that when Jesus drew a crowd because he was feeding 5,000 and honestly healing people, you know what most people thought in that crowd? <laughs> Hey, guys, wait, you've got to see this. This dude, he is like, it's like dinner and a show, for goodness sake. He, he heals people like it's amazing, and then he feeds you. Come on. And, he, and the crowds would gather, thousands, five, six, seven, eight, ten thousand people would gather. You know what Jesus would do? He would say, he wouldn't say, oh, gosh, I don't want to say anything that would offend anybody. I like this big crowd. You know what he would say? Time out, everyone. Listen to what I'm saying. If you want to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they said, what the heck is this? That's not fun anymore. Right? And and they dispersed. You know what Jesus needs? Jesus needs a remnant of people. He just needs a remnant of people to transform the world. In the Bible, look at the Bible, almost every single story you're going to read is that God only needs a remnant of people to win the battle, to win the war, to overcome, to change the world. It's a remnant of people. We don't need 25,000 people. If God gives us 25,000 people in the next 20 years, that's his business. We want to be healthy and we want to be strong. We want to be healthy and we want to be strong. Last Being a part of the church means every member will be glorified with the head. Every single one of us who's gone through the difficulty, the challenges, struggles, the pain, whatever, we are going to be glorified with the head. One day, the hated, the beaten, the persecuted, the scarred body, the church, will be taken up into the presence of God. One day, we will be like his glorious body. One day, my friends, you and I will be like his glorious body. We will be truly, we will experience what it means to be the glorious body that we can start living out now on this earth. We can start getting a glimpse, just a taste of what that will be like. Here's what I want to do to close this off. I want you to get up, stand up, and I want you to come forward. I want you to just come right up front here. And we're going to end with this song. And I want it to remind us how far we've come. I want you to be thinking about all the things that God has done in and through you, in and through this church over the last few years. 
And how, this is more important, how much further God wants us to go. How much more, if we live this out, He can do through our church, Grace Chapel. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time we can spend together. And Father, we pray with all of our hearts that we would have the attitude in our hearts that we can move mountains. We've seen you do it in the past and we'll see you do it again. But even a more, in a more profound way, Lord God, as we, as we begin to understand what it means to be the body of Christ, what it means to, 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 to love your church, what it means to love each other, what it means to be authentic, what it means to stand up for your truth and have courage and to live in such a way that the world around us and our own children and family will recognize that we truly are your body. And because of that, there is nothing, there is nothing that we cannot accomplish in your name. So Father, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. And we ask, we humbly ask that as open vessels, you would pour into us your power and that you would use us to transform the world around us in Jesus' precious and mighty and powerful and holy name. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.